Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Coincidence that she should have. She's a lovely baby, but you can't keep her. She needs us. We're not doing anything wrong. Well, we just finished a rainy day Labor Day weekend, and I really thought that because of all the rain across the entire East Coast, that the movie we're going to review today, The Light Between Oceans, would have had a much bigger box office take than it did. It it came in at just under five, and they were hoping to get it to eight, and $5 million on a weekend like this is not a great beginning, but did you enjoy it? What did you think? Well... Hollister, I loved the book. And okay. Did you know that The Light Between Oceans was M.L. Stedman's debut novel? Uh, no. Can you imagine? She used to be a lawyer. This was her very first book and an incredible bestseller. Oh. It had an amazing, inciting incident. This boat drifting to the shore of an isolated island populated only by a lighthouse keeper and his wife with a dead man and a live baby on board. <laughs> dead man and a live baby. Every character was... You say that as if the, as if every boat carries both of those things. Oh, you know, and, and a picnic basket. You okay. know, and every character was so fully drawn in the book and each faced a series of gripping decisions. And each of those decisions had a snowball effect of consequences. So it's very rare that I can pick up a book and up until the very last page, I really had no idea how it would end. And I was curious, I read a little bit about M.L. Stedman's writing process, and she said she herself did not know how it was going to end because she writes from the inside out. So this is a quote. She said, I didn't really have a sense of making choices about the characters. They were who they were. They did what they did. And those actions carried with them certain consequences, more like physical laws of action and reaction. And I loved that about the book. And so did you think that didn't translate well to the screen? Not at all. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Yes. And, you know, there were certain, I thought every time the movie departed from the book, It was a, what is your line from Pretty Woman? Mistake, big mistake. (laughs) Well, isn't that funny for a movie you can't stand keeps coming to your mind now, but okay, go ahead. (laughs) See, you're in my head, Hollister. I know, I'm in your head. But when I was reading this book about love and loss and, you know, the aftermath of World War I and Western Australia, I thought it was born to be a movie and not just because it was partly filmed in Tasmania, where, you know, I went last year to meet with the McLeod's daughters, (laughs) creator With Posey, exactly. You know, but um, I guess the movie was supposed to be this epic tearjerker, but I think the pacing was so off, it turned into a melodramatic snoozer. So funny, yeah. Um, And I think... Well, you know, it's funny. When, When did you read the book? How long ago did you read the book? I read it this past year. Okay, because I read the book after I saw the movie. Oh. And there were so many aha moments in the book because I feel like... Like, they just didn't develop the characters quite enough, but the book does. So, yep. you know, Tom Sherborne, you know, his experience in World War One, and I get why they couldn't bring that into the film. It would just be like, oh, God, how do we even do this? How do we even layer it in? But that experience was so critical to the man that he became. Mm-hmm. And even even his enormous guilt that really was also cross-referenced. You know, I mean, there were just so many 
backgrounds that we missed. The movie just sort of picks everybody up and they are who they are, but we have no idea how they became that. And while she talks about the death of her brother, um, by the way, both her can brothers. you take your both her brothers? Can you take your eyes off Alicia Vikander when she's on screen? Alicia Vikander did a great job, although I do have to say she runs a lot in the movie. And didn't you think she ran a little bit like Pippi Longstocking's audition? No, I love the way movie? she ran. I love the short straw. I thought it was perfect for the character. It was great. And she wasn't for the really running. She was walking really, really fast. It was fast walking. Without it wasn't even running. Bending her joints. You know, I, lo- I love the way she did that, but I can't, when she's on the screen, I cannot take my eyes off her. She's fantastic. The actors Mesmerizing. were great. Michael Fassbender was great. Brian Brown has a cameo. Jack Thompson, the girl actor who played the young Lucy, she was terrific. Rachel Weisz was good, although she had an English accent, even though the rest of her family had Australian accents, you know. <laughs> All right, well, you know, let's not get picky here. Come I don't know the I acting. Really. I do but not. But interestingly enough, you have two you have two Academy Award winners, Alicia and Rachel, in in the recent couple of years. And you have Michael yep. Fassbender who's was nominated twice, I think, and won once, right? He was at least nominated for Oh, Steve Jobs and Inglorious Bastards. Yep, and here's the thing. They should have been able to carry people to to the box office. In other words, but none of them have stardom. It's so interesting. I think this is, I mean, I just want to stick this in as a side. I think that there's a change happening and that we're not going to have the iconic movie stars that you go to see the movie because they're in it. You know, the Julia Roberts are, are just not going to show up again. Now, maybe, you know, Jennifer Lawrence is that person. But in general, when you've got three, you've got four Academy Award, well, four nominations and three Academy Awards between these three actors, and they couldn't drive the box. That's pretty, pretty unique, let me tell you. I really do not put this on the actor's doorstep. I, again, I'm someone who loved the book. When I saw the trailer, I thought the trailer was a bit of a mess. And I think it could well, just we, we be... We know I, I live and die by trailers, so I, I'm glad that you bring that up. <laughs> you know, but I think it could just be the storytelling craft, which is keeping people from the box office. Well, this was one of your choices. And the whole the whole time I'm in there, now I haven't read the book at this point, the whole time I'm in there, I'm like, this is the saddest thing I ever sat through. Oh my God, can it get any sadder? Oh my goodness, it can get sadder. Oh my gosh, the child is missing. It's sadder. Oh my God. She's, you know, did she drown? I mean, this was the saddest movie from beginning to end. I I just, I can't even, it was just so sad. Who wants to go and be that sad? I am not a sad person by nature. I'm sarcastic. I'm obnoxious, but I am not sad. And I just, I was just sad through the whole thing. And I left sad and I walked slowly to the car and I thought, I don't know if I want to read the book. And then I had to because, you know, uh, we should, you know, layer in here that, you know, thanks to Lit Lovers for sponsoring Mm -hmm. this podcast. And we try once a month to do a book and a movie together. So um, and this is that book. So it was a bestseller. People love this book and I get it. But for years, well, sad, sad, sad. The movie I didn't find sad at all. And again, I read the book first. You didn't find the movie sad? No, I thought it was a snoozer. 
And in oh fact, my God. there's just a few things I want to enumerate that they changed from the book that I thought was a mistake I, in the I, storytelling. Okay, you go, because I have a couple too, yeah. Okay, the first is they dropped this wonderful gift of an inciting incident that M.L. Stedman gave them at the very beginning. So instead of starting with the boat and the dead man and the baby washing ashore, they opted to tell the story chronologically. And you, so, I thought that was—I thought that was the correct thing to do. You didn't. I—I I think you needed that critical decision from the get-go that set the whole foundation for all the characters' huh. decisions. Instead, I thought the story lost its narrative drive. So what you were saying before, I totally agree with you that they should have brought in the war and Michael Fassbender returning from the Great War. It would have been a great movie moment. Well, he they did. I mean, they start no, with that, no, but, but the problem is, is I no, don't have any idea what he went through over no, there. No, no, but this is know. my point. It would have been so easy to show him on that ocean liner, which is one of the very first scenes in the book, where he meets the Rachel Weiss character and saves her. That scene says so much about the fact that he's an upright person. He's principled. He meets her, and it wonderfully bookends the whole issue of clemency. Because when he says to the Rachel Weiss character in the book, look, you can press charges against this soldier, but I reckon he's probably gone through enough in the war already. Instead, in the movie, the whole issue of clemency at the very end just comes right out of left field. Oh, I don't think it came out of left field at all. I thought they layered it in beautifully with her husband having said, you know, you, you have to forgive, you know, that I think if they had done that, it would have seemed um, inauthentic. It would have been too contrived. It would have been, I don't know, I don't think you could have pulled it off in a movie. I don't think so, because that meant because they dropped that scene, they had to create a new scene of our first meet between Tom and Hannah. I Rowan thought it was felt. a great first meet. I thought it was creepy the way he pursues her in the graveyard. It almost looked like he was hitting on her. Why would you oh, leave please. your... No, I'm serious. Oh, You're at a church for your baby's christening. Why on earth would Tom wander away from his wife, his baby, Because he his saw her down there and something compelled him to go look. Why would you and stalk somebody in a graveyard who's clearly laying flowers? She was, he, he wasn't stalking her. He her to the grave he was, site he where was she's drawn, alone. He was drawn to her. And That's then creepy. when he walked down there, he never spoke to her. She walked away. Then he looked at the gravestone, and there it was. See, that to me is contrived. And then you have to send a man out to go find Tom to lure him back to his family's christening. I thought that was very odd. And even what you mentioned about her dead husband, the Austrian, when they do that flashback towards the very end, to me it was too late to start with the flashbacks at that point. And well, the in most, the movie, he was a German, different. different no, no. Different. Um, well, they call him a German in the book, but it's erroneous because... Right, but in the movie, they call them a German. And in the book, certain people called him German too. But yeah. this is the big mistake, is they left out the whole Anzac Day scene where the town mob chases him and is threatening his life, which is why he ends up in the I boat to begin with. I thought that scene, not with. being in there, was a big mistake, too. And yep. I'll bet you anything, I bet you, O'Toole, that they actually shot it, and then they didn't, and then they cut it. I bet you anything. Because that scene, not being in there, I thought it was a critical scene. I did. I agree. It's very critical. Yep. Because what M.L. Stenman did so beautifully is because of all the decisions that her characters make in the book, the way she laid it out in the order she told us it put more on communal guilt 
where because of this Anzac Day scene, the jailer realizes that the whole town is guilty of having chased Frank Roenfeldt out of town. But instead in the movie, because the director opted for so many close-up shots of Michael Fassbender and Alicia Vikander. Which I appreciated. I think they look great. There were too many, though, because then the only crime in the movie really is the fact that they kept the baby and didn't report it. So now you've got two good-looking baby snatchers. I think the crime of the town was there. I think the crime of, of Hannah's father was there. I think I think the crime I think the crime was there, and I didn't think he was stalking her at all. Um, it, it, I mean, I thought they layered in some things really well, but I would I I would agree with you that um, that leaving out that one scene was a was a critical critical mistake. And in the book, it was much more powerful because when he sees Hannah again, he doesn't recognize her because she has gone so insane from the loss of her child. In the movie, I did not get that sense that Rachel Weisz... She looked sad. She She's looked sad. sad, but did she look insane? Everybody was but sad. But did she look insane the, I mean, to you? No, she looked sad. And in the book, yeah. they gave a wonderful visual where she's walking up and down the beach every day looking for that boat with her husband and baby to return. You know, I don't think her being crazy would have would have added anything to this film. And I think, if anything, if she had been crazy, then she wouldn't have been able to forgive and I think, I, I don't think her being crazy would have added anything. And I think it's one thing in a book. I think it's another thing to try to layer in yet another thing about her. Another complicated historical fact about him having already met her and all those. I just think there was too much no, to do in an hour and a half. I, no, it was just in too much. fact, this movie was about two hours and they kept in too much of the wrong thing where they could have put yeah. that in very easily. Yeah, I don't know if I, I, because know if I agree Because in the that. movie, because they so diminished the character of Gwen, her sister, and Hannah, it's almost as though she is reunited with the daughter and then she tries to give her back and then she grants clemency. There were too many things missing where you didn't see her loss enough. Yeah, that could be. On the director's side, you know, he did um, The Place Beyond the Pines and he he also did um, Blue Valentine. So he's used to dark. This, though, was almost, um, you know... I'm not quite sure, but it was almost like it was chintzy. It was like, I don't know. The other, you know, Blue Valentine was a very, very interestingly complex directorial, uh, you know, approach to the story. Maybe he made it just too simplistic, you know? I mean, you know, the dark, you know, romance drama of Blue Valentine, you know, and then the, the epic of The Place Beyond the Pines. I mean, I don't know. I just felt like, gosh, where did this fall in and why did he do it? And I think maybe perhaps like Blue Valentine, which really focused on Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams, a couple, he focused too much on the Tom and Isabel and forgot maybe, all the yeah. interactions of the other characters. Because did you yep. see The Place Beyond the Pines? I did. I thought the pacing of that movie, it felt like very lopsided storytelling, where from the poster, you would think that Ava Mendez is torn between Ryan Gosling and Bradley Cooper. And instead, one of those two is killed off very early in the movie, and it's really a story yeah. about a boy and his father. Uh, you know, I just I just thought, gosh, this, this almost doesn't fit, and I wonder if he was uncomfortable doing it or something. I don't know. And yet, he wrote the screenplay. He adapted M.L. Stedman's he novel. Did. He did, yeah. And I felt like it's almost as though you learn a dance, but then you're executing the tempo at the wrong pace. So it was too fast, too slow, too fast. Well, the thing is, there's not much 
verbal dialogue in this movie at all. So I could see that it would be easy for him to write it because it really was so visual. It was mostly visual. And in being mostly visual, I think that, you know, it would be interesting to know how many lines of dialogue there actually were, because I think there were very few. And I think that maybe he's not comfortable writing dialogue, and that's why he did it so, you know, visually rather than audibly. You know, I just don't think it was a strong play there at all. I think the visuals could have been even stronger. So, for example, he opted to show the miscarriages, more than one. The book opens on the very first page. Isabel is praying at the crosses of her dead children when they spy the boat. So we already know that she's experienced loss and isolation with that one visual. Instead, in the movie, he opted for that melodramatic storm scene where she has the miscarriage in the storm and Tom is up in the lighthouse and she's banging on the lighthouse door and she has to spend the whole night outside on the steps and then he opens the door the next morning and finds her lying there and she says, oh, I'm fine. That was not in the book. She never said she was fine. Yes, when he opens the door and... there she, she is. She does not and, say anything. Are you sure? And then he yeah, wants positive. to call the doctor and she doesn't no, want he, the you know, doctor. No, she tells him, I know what's happening. I don't need someone else to tell me is I think what she says. But, okay, but here's but the thing. We don't want to get you, with we the don't lantern. Give this, didn't yeah. you think it was way too over the top melodramatic? I didn't. I didn't. I felt like that was... Um, that was a way to add to the guilt that he had of not taking care of her. You know, you keep in mind earlier in the movie, there's a point where he says to her, he writes to her, I will take care of you. Mm-hmm. Nothing, I will make sure nothing bad happens to you. I will take care of you. Yep. And, and, and to me, the reason that that was it written in there the way it was, was for him to have yet another layer of guilt of he hadn't taken care of her that night. And because she asks to go up into the lighthouse and he says, no, you'll be fine here. And she wasn't fine. I resented that because in the book, he's such a stand up guy that it put too much on Tom that he would even think of not looking after her because that's his dominant character trait. He wasn't not looking. He would do anything to look after her. It wasn't a mistake to not let her up there. He was trying to keep her safe, but but knew none that she was of that re- happens in the book. So, for example, to the same point, at the beginning of the movie, in terms of visuals, I thought he looked too old. In the book, he's supposed to be 27. I thought Alicia... Yeah, he did look older. I agree. I mean, Alicia I didn't see, Vikander yeah. could pass for 19, but then they give him that mustache at the beginning of the movie so she can cut it off. That facial hair was all wrong. What they should have done is stuck to the book where at the end of the movie, he has that totally craggy look with the facial hair so that we know he's been suffering for a long time in jail because he will do anything to protect Isabel. Instead, you know, it seems like you're very committed to the book. I am. He to... looked as old in okay, he looked as old you. at the beginning of the movie as he did in 1950 at the okay, end of the movie. Okay, well he did. He did definitely looked a lot older than her and I noticed it. But then I thought maybe he looks so old because he's been through a war and I think war adds years to your life and you look older just because you've been through a war and all, any innocence you have is then gone, especially World War One was brutal. I mean, with the, the gas that was killing, I mean, they, it was a terrible, terrible, agonizing war and mm-hmm. filled with awful, awful things. And um, I would have now, appreciated if the movie had made more of that war. It's such a footnote yeah, in the movie. Yeah, we, you know, I, I mentioned that at the beginning that for me, yeah, I didn't have enough backstory to really, really understand 
why he made some of the decisions he made and why he was so quiet and why it was such a relief for him to go to a place where there was no other human beings. But I will also say, man, I would love to live there. You could send me there for a year. I'd be happy as a clam. It was absolutely beautiful. And to the point of the visuals, I would have liked to have seen even more. For example, when Lucy, now Grace, is talking to Septimus Potts, and he's on horseback. In the book, you know, she's talking about the cry of the kookaburra, and she's learning all the marsupials. I would have loved to have seen more visuals of the Australian wildlife. Yeah. I wondered where that life... I, I didn't look it up. Do you know where it was filmed? Well, it was filmed in New Zealand and in Tasmania, but Janice okay. Rock, M.L. Stedman made up. So that is a, a fictional place. Oh, my God. I thought it was an amazing lighthouse, and I loved the tower, and I loved the way he lit the light, and how... I just thought it was amazing, amazing, amazing. In the book, I thought the descriptions of the lighthouse and being a lightkeeper were beautifully done. For the first time, he took in the scale of the view. Hundreds of feet above sea level, he was mesmerised by the drop to the ocean, crashing against the cliffs directly below. He had the impression he was hanging from the sky, not rising from the earth. Very slowly, he turned a full circle, taking in the nothingness of it all. Well, the book is very, very descriptive in everything. And, you know, and that that's a wonderful thing. And I understand the book was definitely easier to take. But after I'd seen the movie, I was just waiting for the next blow. So that was, you know, that was sort of difficult too. But there were a number of things in there. Like I didn't understand what the value added was. Um, for example, and this isn't a, uh, you know, this isn't giving anything away with the child running away. I mean, I, it was just, okay, do we need yet another one more drama or is that just the way they're trying to live to the arc of screenwriting? Well, see in the, um, the book, she runs away twice or she goes missing twice. twice and I yeah. thought that was a much better choice in the book because the first time it's when she's living with Tom and Isabel, and then you realize the cost of what life would be like if they had to live without her, which in the movie was completely lost because right. they changed when the child went missing. Okay, now, can I? we get back to the actors a, a bit again? Mm -hmm. Okay, Alicia, which oh, I'm madly, I'm just madly enamored with her performance. So I went back, I looked at her in The Danish Girl, she looks totally different. She looks and completely different in every I role. I know. Mm -hmm. You go, girl. I think this is going to be an actor for our time. I think she's got the Meryl Streep fabulousness where she can pretty much play it all, and you just don't want to take your, your eyes off her. You know, I really thought she was amazing. I'm pretty sure she's already performed in three languages. She was also in The oh, Royal she? Affair. She was in uh -huh. Ex Machina, uh -huh. where she played okay. the artificial intelligence robot. Oh, right, 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 right. And Fassbender, that guy, he's versatile. He is. Mm -hmm. he's, I mean, Prometheus. Did you see Prometheus? I have not seen it. Okay. Inglorious Bastards. And now this, you know, the guy, the guy. Now they're, now they're together in real life, right? They met on the set and it's a real life romance. Um, so their chemistry yeah, was very believable. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? You know, this is what I was thinking while I was watching the movie. I think it really would have been a tremendous miniseries. They should have stuck to M.L. Oh, Stedman's I love that book. Idea. Yep. And the book, it has the built-in cliffhangers where there were natural breaking points in the story. You could have mm -hmm. fleshed out all the characters. That is such a good idea. Each episode could idea. have ended with another decision. 
And the tempo would have been much truer to the original. You are so brilliant. That is tempo. such a brilliant idea. The Night Manager mm-hmm. and The Light Between Oceans would be amazing. Now, can we talk about the um, the title for a minute? You know, I'm a thing about titles, right? That's my thing. Yeah. I don't get the title. Is it just because I'm stupid? <laughs> I didn't think it was a good title, FYI. It's a better title for a book than for a movie, especially when you're looking for box office, then you should come up with a very simple title. Yeah, I, I just, it was not, I think the title was one of the reasons it didn't do well last weekend. And yet in the book, even the fact that they name her Lucy, which means light, and their descriptions of how their alienation being out there on Janus Rock kept the whole world from being alienated because it allowed for the delivery of goods and safe passage. Mm. The descriptions mm. of that in the book were beautiful. Okay, now guess how much they spent to make this film. I can't even imagine. I'm assuming they must have gotten a lot of tax breaks. $20 million. I mean, considering where it was shot, the location didn't look complicated to me. I just thought, oh, that's a lot of money for being shot way over there. I mean, and then I wondered, okay, was it all paid to the three actors, you know? I wouldn't think so. I know, me neither. It was just interesting. Just thought you, I should You wonder how it. much Derek Sanfron's got. Okay, well, I have I have news for you that I think oh, good. Okay. is going to help you get over your disappointment in that the movie, which you thought was going to be so perfect for the book, that it wasn't. <laughs> okay, did you hear about Daniel Craig? No. Okay, he was offered... $150 million to do what? Okay, this is supposed to make me feel better when his wife, Rachel Weiss, was in a movie where the whole budget was $20 million, and she's just, the Oscar winner. Okay, okay, I'll, maybe I'll approach it a different way. Someone's been offered the next three James Bond film. Do you know who it is? It's Daniel Craig, and they offered him $150 million To come today. back, despite his snooty little, snarky little comments yep. about how he'd never do another one? Well, I guess, you know, it'll be interesting. Everybody has a price, they say. It'll be interesting to see if that's his. But I just thought it was interesting that I could tell you this, and I figured you hadn't known. I did not know. No. Okay, so how do you feel about that? You know, I was already getting kind of excited about a new Bond. I don't mean to sound fickle, but after his comments okay. about... well, maybe you're just still in a bad mood from the movie. I don't know. Um, did you notice in the credits, there was actually a credit for a contact lens technician? I was so sad. I, I couldn't laugh at you and stay for the credits. You know I try. <laughs> I was just so sad. I had to. I had to go out to the car and try to find sunlight somewhere because it was just so sad. Wow! And we'd of course love to hear from book clubs. So let us know what you thought about the light between oceans. We're at screenthoughts at gmail dot com. Okay. Well, you know, I'm gonna just try to get you into a lighthouse to, to <laughs> feel happier. Okay. So. <laughs>